0: All right. The word of God is living and it is powerful and it is sharper than any two edged sword. Amen. In fact, as we saw as we were going through 2 Timothy, right, that the scriptures, they are theoponoestis, meaning they are theos, God, ponoestis, breathe. They are breathed out by God. And so when we receive the word of God, we're not just receiving it as the word of man, but we're receiving it as something that is direct from his heart. And just as we should be people of our word, we know God is always a person of his word, right? And he watches over his word and he performs his word. So I tell you, as we're reading the word this morning, and as we're reading even how it applied maybe to God's people 2,500 years ago, well... Whatever application it had to people 2,500 years ago, it still has application for God's people at all times, amen? It has application for you and I here today in San Fernando in Mission City Church. And I'm just going to do a standalone message this morning. We're particularly going to be looking at the book of Isaiah this morning, and I'm calling the message this morning, God holds his people in his hands. God holds His people in His hands. You know, the last couple of weeks, one thing I've been doing, I've mentioned this the last several months, I've been studying the book of Revelation. One thing I've been doing the last couple of weeks has been reading the major prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And part of the reason why is because uh, verses and images are uh, from these four prophetic books are used all throughout the book of Revelation. And as I've been seeking a much deeper understanding of Revelation, um, seeing that as something I I intend to teach more on this year, I've, I've been going through these books more in depth. And while going through Isaiah, I was deeply encouraged by how God is described as taking care of his people. And I thought, you know what, I just need to have a standalone message and share that with you all as we head into 2024. And I want to look at a couple of passages in Isaiah this morning, alongside of some other passages, particularly Deuteronomy, that have to do with the theme of God carrying his people. And what is so remarkable is that though God carried his people throughout the Old Testament, they did not recognize that he was carrying them. They were unaware of this remarkable grace in their life. And so ultimately, because they were unaware that God was indeed carrying them throughout everything in life, they ended up making a lot of mistakes, right? So the goal of this message is for us to wake up to the truth that God indeed is carrying us, that he indeed holds us firmly in his hands. And as we are aware of that deep truth that comes straight from the mouth of God himself, I believe that you and I can move fearlessly into 2024 in all the things that God desires for us to do this year. Amen? We need to believe the truth that God is firmly holding us in his hand. Now the first passage from Isaiah I want to read this morning is Isaiah 46. In Isaiah 46, verse 3, God says this. He says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb, Even to your old age, I am he. And even to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. (laughs) Amen? Now, I want to read from the NASB of verse 4 again. God says this. Even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your grain years, I will bear you. Amen? You know, uh, aren't you glad God bears you even to your grain years? How many of you have a little gray in you? How many you have a lot of gray? Aren't you glad? Hallelujah. You know, the, the book of Proverbs, actually multiple times, it extols those who have gray hairs, right? Like, it's a great honorable thing to have gray hairs, and yet we color the gray hairs, right? That's okay, you know? But how many know even when they're colored, God sees them gray, huh? Amen. And he says, I'm still going to carry you in your gray years. Last year I was kind of alarmed, or not last year, last month, which I guess was last year. I was alarmed at how many gray hairs I had in my beard. And you know, you're like, oh man, it's almost 10%, 15% gray. I want to pull some of these gray hairs out. It's getting a little bit too gray. But then I remind myself, you know what? God says gray is a good thing. So this is the good news. You know, the first thing God says is that from birth, he upheld his people. From birth. The word upheld comes from a Hebrew word that means to carry a load. Other translations say he bore his people. He carried the load of his people. He sustained his people from their birth. He then goes on to say that they had been carried from the womb. God seems to be using something that is used throughout the prophets and throughout the poetic sections of Scripture, which is a type of parallelism, which says something twice, really emphasizing the fact of something. So by saying, using a word that means carry twice, he's emphasizing the fact that from the womb, from their birth, he has indeed carried them. The NAB translation says this, my burden from the womb whom I have carried since birth. Now, an infant or a child being carried isn't really that surprising, right? We all carry infants and children. We expect to hear that sort of language. But what's so unique about God's paternal care is that it did not stop once His people ceased being children. He says, even to your old age, even to your gray hairs I will carry you. Um, The Berean Standard Bible translates it like this. Even to your old age, I will be the same, and I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you and deliver you. Now, when we get older, sometimes we get a little bit more feeble, right? The outward body, the New Testament says, is indeed perishing. But God says, I will be right there with you to sustain you even in your grain years, right? We can be like Moses when he was 120. His strength was not abated. Why? He was filled with the glory of the Lord, right? He came down from the presence of God and he was shining. And for the next 40 years, he was shining in the strength of Jesus, right? He was shining in the strength of the Lord. And so, you know, uh, God is saying, I've never stopped caring you. I've never stopped bearing you along the way. You are my redeemed, and I am taking you on in this journey of life. I'm leading you to the land of promise. Earlier in Isaiah, three chapters earlier, Isaiah said this in Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You know, God promised to be with His redeemed no matter what challenge they faced, right? Yes, God says, yes, my people will experience rivers. Yes, you will experience fires. But guess what? They will not overwhelm you. Guess what? They will not destroy you. Guess what? They will not scorch you. Rather right there in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the storms, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be burying you. I'm going to be carrying you. I'm going to be your refuge. You can trust in me. You know, at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, right before Moses climbs to the top of Mount Nebo and dies, he gives a prophetic blessing to the 12 tribes of Israel. And at the end of that prophetic blessing, he, he sings a prophetic song about what the redeemed could expect about God as they trusted him. And this is how he ends his prophetic song. In Deuteronomy thirty three twenty six. 26, Moses says, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to help you, and in His excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. What is Moses saying? in this? This is the last thing he says in Deuteronomy, before he goes up and dies. What is the last thing he's leaving the people of God with? Well, Jeshurun. There's no one like the God of Jeshurun. What is that? Well, it's just another way of of writing Israel that is a term of endearment. It, It means the beloved Israel. There is no one like the God of the beloved Israel. There is no one like the God. Also, it can mean like the child of the upright. Why? What does God do for his beloved child Israel? Well, he rides... The heavens to help them, right? What does this mean? God is her ever-present help in the time of her need. You know, there's there's a, a beautiful image right there at the end in verse 27. Underneath are the everlasting arms, right? Or as other translations put it, his everlasting arms will be under you. You know, that is what carrying the redeemed even to their gray hairs looked like. The everlasting arms of the eternal God sustaining them and helping them in their time of need. You know, children are at rest and at peace when they're in the arms of their mother and father, right? How do you get a a, a whining child to, to go to sleep? Well, usually what do you do? You pick them up in your arms and you rock them and you sing to them. And hopefully, you know, usually a lot of times, what? They'll fall asleep, right? They don't have to worry when they're in the arms of their parent whether they will be dropped, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, a place of total peace point for the child. Now, how many know that, that human arms, they weary, right? They grow tired, right? They're not everlasting arms. They need to set the child down eventually, right, in a crib or a bed, right? Or or what's going to happen? Their their arms are going to go numb, right? And their mind might go a little crazy. But God isn't like that. You know, I remember, you know, when I was... uh, uh, when my daughters were uh, six and four. This was like six years ago. And uh, I, someone gave us some passes to California Adventure. And it was right when Donnie came out from Costa Rica. So he went with us and, you know, we're there all day long. You know, by the time it gets about nightfall, eight, nine o'clock, you know, how many know of four and six-year-olds who've been walking all day? They're going to be tired. And, you know, I didn't have any strollers or anything with me. So you're there and what I have to do the last 2 hours, I got to carry the 6-year-old, right? And Donnie's got to carry the 4-year-old. He's like, "Oh my gosh, how can you do this?" right? It's impossible. How can you do this? You're like a you're like a Superman, right? Well, guess what? You're exhausted. You got to sit down on a bench, right? You can only go so long. You're not going to make it. And you just thank God and rejoice when you get to the bus that takes you back to the parking lot and say, Thank you, Jesus, I made it. I'm alive, right? Well, God is not like that, right? God never grows weary, right? God's arms uh, never last in strength. And when we meditate on the fact that were held in the everlasting arms of the eternal God, there is a great comfort with, that comes when we meditate on that truth. There is an awareness of God's presence, there is an awareness of His love, of His care, of His protection, and ultimately of His exceedingly great peace. You know, I think of that great hymn that we're leaning on the everlasting arms. Right? It's a phrase that's drawn right there from Deuteronomy 33:27. Goes like this: What a fellowship! What a joy divine! Leaning on the everlasting arms! What a blessedness! What a peace is mine! Leaning on the everlasting arms! Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms leaning 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 on the everlasting arms oh how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way leaning on the everlasting arms oh how bright the path grows from day to day leaning on the everlasting arms what have I to dread what have I to fear leaning on the everlasting arms I have blessed peace with my Lord so near leaning on the everlasting arms. Amen? So where where Moses basically ends Deuteronomy, speaking of God's everlasting arms as God's people's help, as their refuge, well, he began Deuteronomy in a very similar way. In chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, Moses reminded the people that God had carried them in their wilderness experience. In fact, Moses reminded them of a a stirring speech that he had given to Israel after they made it to the border of the promised land. So how many know they made it to the border of the promised land only a little after, after a year after they exited Egypt, right? And, you know, what did they do when they get to the border of the promised land? Moses sent 12 spies into the land, right? And they came back and they describe the land. It truly is a land that flows with milk and honey. Look at these clusters of grapes that we gotta carry on poles all the way back to you. It's incredible, it's it's beautiful, it's magnificent, and yet, there's fortified cities in there, and yet, there are giants there, and yet, there are the descendants of Anak there, and I don't think we can go in, right? Only Joshua and Caleb, only two of them thought they could go in. And this is uh, what Moses had to say in Deuteronomy 1, verse 29. After they brought the report, the spies brought the report. He said this, Then I said to you, Do not be terrified or afraid of them. Speaking of the giants, the descendants of Anak, the fortified cities, the strongholds. Do not be afraid or terrified of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, He will fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Okay, so what does Moses say? Moses essentially saying giants, fortified cities, that is a piece of cake for our God, right? You know, He's basically saying it's only been a year and you've already forgotten what God did for us in the land of Egypt. It's it's only been a year and you've, you've already forgotten the ten magnificent plagues that he brought against our enemies. Have you already forgotten how he split the Red Sea? Have you already forgotten how he's given you manna each and every day? More than that, have have you already forgotten how God has carried us like he carries a child? He's led us by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. How do you not realize this? How do you not understand that you are more than capable of inheriting all that God has promised you? of going into the land of milk and honey, of possessing the vineyards that you did not plant, of living in the houses that you didn't build. Don't you realize the gracious gift of God is just waiting there for you? Why are your eyes on the giants? Why are your eyes on the strongholds? Why aren't your eyes on the promises? And and Moses tells us what the response was to his rousing speech. Verse 32. Yet for all of that, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Now, Israel, in more ways than we have today, had manifest miracles all around them all the time, right? Every day they were surrounded by the supernatural. The cloud, the fire, the manna, they visibly saw it. Yet they were still full of terror, they were still full of unbelief. A lot of them still wanted to go back to Egypt. Right? Now, Moses is giving this speech in, in, in um in Deuteronomy. He's giving it 38 years after that event at the end of his wilderness wandering, when he's at 120 years old, he's at at the Jordan River, he's getting ready to go up Mount Nebo. And and the Israelites would not have simply thought about God carrying them for those first year or two years in the wilderness, when he says, remember how the Lord carried you as as a man carries his child, but they would have thought how God carried them in the wilderness for those 40 years. How for the next 38, 39 years, God continued to hold on to them. He continued to go before them. He continued to light their way. In fact, this is how Isaiah speaks of God's care for his people in the wilderness. In Isaiah 63, verse 7, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord, according to all the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their savior in all their affliction. He was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. You know, this is talking about, you know, when he saw them groaning in the land of Egypt, he was, he was afflicted in their affliction. He saw it, and so he came down to deliver them. And he sent the angel of his presence, and there is the picture, uh, you know, of the Passover of them being brought out of Egypt. The angel of his presence, and he saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. He bore them, and he carried them all the days of old. And like Moses, Isaiah goes on to mention how despite God's remarkable care of His people, despite His caring of them and His great redemption showed toward them, he goes on to say how they rebelled against Him and they grieved the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like, all this that God has done... And yet they still hardened their heart. They still refused to see what the Lord had done for them. To give thanksgiving. To walk by faith rather than by sight. Even though they even had the sight in front of them. I like that phrase there right at the end in verse 9. He bore them and carried them all the days of old. You know, if God bore Israel under the old covenant how much more will he not carry and care for his new covenant people? If God, according to the magnitude of his loving kindnesses, his great graces, his great hessed, his great love, was so great for old covenant Israel, how much more for the church of Jesus Christ? And we see indeed that it is a much more, a much more powerful truth that the church, yes, in an even dearer way, in an even closer way, in an even stronger way, is held in the hands of God and is held near to his heart. How do I know that? Jesus himself told us that. In John 10, Jesus gave a speech in Jerusalem about how he is the good shepherd. He said he was not like the shepherds of Israel in his day. No. They were poor shepherds who didn't know his father. They they did not care for the father's sheep. In describing how he cares for us as a good shepherd, one thing he says is that he holds us fast in his arms. And his arms that he pictures for us are pictured as the most secure place in all existence. That if you are in Christ's arms, absolutely nothing outside of his arms can possibly remove you from his grip. This is what he says. Jesus speaking in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. "'Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. "'My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, "'and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. "'I and my Father are one.'" Aren't you glad for that promise from Jesus? Jesus says He gives. It's a gift. Aren't you glad for the gift of eternal life? Jesus says He gives His sheep eternal life. He says they are absolutely, fully secure in His hand. So what should we do in light of that truth? We should rest in His hands and not rebel against Him like the Israelites did in the wilderness, right? We need to be people of faith, knowing we are so secure that we can always move forward, trusting in the promises of God, knowing we are his priestly people, knowing we're going to move forward and be the people who he's called us to be. Why? Because we are held firm in the hands of Jesus. We are held firm in the hands of the Father. And no matter what attempts of the world, no matter what attempts of the devil, no matter what attempts of the devil and his angels, no matter anything that comes against us, nothing can snatch us out of his hands. When I think of Jesus as the good shepherd who holds us in his hands, I think of another image from Isaiah. In Isaiah Chapter 40, it says this, Isaiah 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd, talking about God, talking about Jesus. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them where? Close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. You know, Jesus not only holds us in omnipotent hands, so that no wolf, no serpent, no enemy could ever pry us away from him. But as he is holding us in those omnipotent hands, he's not just kind of like, I'm going to hold you out here. You're kind of dirty. I don't really like you very much, right? He's like, no, I'm going to hold you right here in my bosom. I'm going to hold you right near my heart, right? I'm going to have the lamb drawn near to me. I want him to experience my warmth my comfort, my love. I want him to hear my heartbeat. You know, this was the position of the disciple John at the Last Supper, right? John, in the Gospel, only ever refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loves. He never names himself. He never calls himself John. He only refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That was his core identity. And the one who knew he was loved by Jesus, where was he? He was always as close to Jesus' heart as he could possibly get. In John 13, verse 23, uh, this is what John writes. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, he's talking about himself, whom Jesus loved. He was just leaning on his, he was leaning on his heart. He was right there as Jesus was breaking bread as they're celebrating that last meal together. And he says, Jesus, I'm going to be like that lamb in Isaiah 40 that God holds near to his heart. I know you are God and I'm going to get right near your heart. You know, the thing is, every disciple is in the place where the beloved disciple was, you know that? We are all held in the arms of Christ and we are all carried close to his heart. The only question is, are we going to enjoy that place like the beloved disciple did, right? Are we going to lean back on Jesus and rest in his life, rest in his love, rest in his spirit? You know, the beloved disciple was the only disciple we're told of that went to the cross, right? The only the disciple that fearlessly move forward in faith. and If we're going to fearlessly move forward in faith, we need to know right, at the very core of our being that we are held by Jesus Christ. If we're going to move forward by faith, we need to know at the very core of our being that we are loved by Jesus Christ. If we're going to move forward by faith, we need to know at the very core of our being that we have been gifted eternal life. We need to know that no matter what giants face us in our future, we can face them in the power and the strength of Jesus Christ that God has carried me thus far, and he's going to continue to carry me. Amen? So we can be of the spirit of Joshua, we can be of the spirit of Caleb, we can say, I am more than able to move forward in all the exceedingly great and precious promises that God has graciously given His church. I'm going to experience those promises this year, amen? Amen. I'm going to trust His Word. I'm going to trust His presence. (laughs) I'm going to be like Jesus, amen? You know, another passage in Isaiah that speaks of the everlasting uh, strength of God on behalf of his people is in, also in Isaiah 40. In Isaiah, he, he needed to remind God's people about who God is. They were becoming whiners. They were becoming complainers. People who thought God didn't care about them because of their trials. Ever been there before? So this is what God thunders, this is what Isaiah thunders to them. These complainers. Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Amen. So here we again see that even though even those with gray hairs, right, are carried by the Lord. Even those who are old can have their strength renewed. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those who trust him. Let's be people this year who have zero terror of what lies before us. No matter what challenge you may be facing now or what challenge you may face in the future, no matter what giant lies before you, let us move forward knowing we are held tightly and firmly and securely in the almighty hands of God. Amen? Because it's true. Israel intentionally forgot these things. We can be forgetful of these things, right? We can be forgetful of the glorious truth that Christ lives in me, that he's carrying me, that he's filled me with his life, that I've been made new. Why do I allow the junk of the world to characterize my life? No, I can can be safe. I can be secure. I can be full of hope. Fear doesn't need to have its way over me. I can be like the one the blessed one of psalm 91 i want to read psalm 91 to you he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty i will say of the lord he is my refuge and my fortress my god in him i will trust surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence he shall cover you with his feathers And under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked." Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, You shall trample underfoot. You know, Jesus uses this imagery in the Gospels, of course, to speak about the enemy and to speak about demons, right? that's, That's what this is, a picture of. Not literal lions and cobras and serpents, but the enemy's work. You shall trample them underfoot. Verse 14, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen? Who wants to dwell in the secret place of the Lord Most High this year? Just be satisfied in the presence of Jesus. Be satisfied in the presence of God, right? Whenever we do get in a funk and question where God has been in our life, it is important to know that He has always been more faithful to us than we have been to Him, right? That regardless of our perception and all the trials and pains we've experienced, He has always been the one who has been moving us forward. He's always there. You know, I, I, uh, w- when I think about God carrying Israel, like it talks about in Deuteronomy and in Isaiah all over the place, and, and I think about our perception sometimes and h- how we're wrong, how really uh, you know, God isn't the faithless one, we're the faith- faithless one. He's always the faithful one. I, I think of uh, the poem that's called Footprints in the Sand. Anyone ever hear that poem? I want to read it to you. It says this, As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you. You'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints it was then that I carried you. You know, we need to understand that God carries us. When we are young, he carries us. When we are old, he carries us. When we come out of the womb and we're bald, he carries us. When we're 100 years old and we're bald, he carries us, right? He's always carrying us. We are held In his arms. And I want to take communion. Anyone here not receive a communion element, go ahead and raise your hand. And you know, one story that makes me think about being carried and being at rest and at peace and at the table of the Lord is the story of a man named Mephibosheth. His story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, the grandson of King Saul. He was a prince, he was in line ultimately to be king. But of course, God had other plans. He raised up the man David, who would become king after Saul. And so, what happens as Saul's kingdom is falling apart, <laughs> and he and Jonathan, his dad, Mephibosheth's dad, dies in battle. What happens is they're running, everyone in, in, in the kingdom is scared, and the nurse takes Mephibosheth when he's five years old, and she's carrying him. And she's running away, and she trips, and she falls, and Mephibosheth, he hits the ground the wrong way, and we're told that from that moment on, he is lame. I don't know if he's paralyzed in his legs or what, but he can no longer walk on his own. So he goes out into hiding. Here's this this prince who's supposed to reign in life, and now he's in this place of hiding where a bunch of criminals were, a place called Lodabar. And what happens is when David, after he secures the kingdom from all of the enemies, he remembers a covenant he made with, with Jonathan, his friend. And he said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? Because I'm remembering my covenant that I made with him. And someone speaks up and says, yeah, there is this son, Mephibosheth, a name that means big shame. There's this guy, he's full of shame, he's hiding out where all the criminals are. He's lame, he can't walk. David says, go and get him, go and fetch him. So I tell you what, if they're going to get Mephibosheth, guess what? If he's going to go from Lodabar to Jerusalem, there's only one way he can be transported. He can't walk, he can't run. He's got to be carried, right? So the search and rescue crew. They go out, they find Mephibosheth, they find the, the prince who's full of shame, and they carry him to Jerusalem. This is what it says in 2 Samuel 9, verse 5. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mekir, the son of Amuel, from Lo de bar. And we're told that he was given a restored inheritance, that he was given many servants, and that he was given a, 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 a place at the table of King David. That he sat there, that he would eat with David the rest of his life. He was carried to the table. There was a band called Leland. They, they wrote a song, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago called Carried to the Table. And one thing, I like a lyric in that song, it says, uh, it says, I don't see my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of the Lord. You know, that's like Mephibosheth, right? When you're at the table, and he was lame, but he didn't see the brokenness, he just saw the blessing. He just saw that he's really adopted into David's family, that he's partaking of the blessings of David that He's redeemed, that He's restored, that He's made new. And I tell you what, every time that we're carried to the table, we recognize that Jesus was broken for us, we recognize that He poured out His life for us, we no longer need to be full of shame. Shame, amen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad? So every time we come to the table, every time we're carried there, every time we look at the promises of Jesus, every time we understand the message of the cross, that God sent his only begotten Son and he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. When we see that, I tell you what, there can only be peace, there can only be joy, there can only be strength, there can only be newness. And that's what we're reminded of every time we partake of the meal. Amen.